You are listening to the Sports CDP Crash Course, your go-to podcast for all things sports related. We talk about how sports clubs and teams can sell more tickets and merchandise than ever before and how they can negotiate sponsorship agreements of higher value. We also champion women's sports and discuss how data and innovation can help bring equality to the sports industry. We have interviewed industry leaders who have worked with the likes of the NFL, FC Barcelona, Women in Football UK, FIBA, the Davis Cup, just to name a few. So don't miss out. Listen to today's episode. Our next guest is a product designer with a rather unconventional background. Having completed an MA in diplomacy with a focus on gender equality and then working in business development for creative agencies in the Omnicorn and BBC networks, Sahaj Shah combines policy and business strategy within her design role in sport. Sahaj recently led Areto Lab's 2022 research report about online abuse in women's sports, collaborating with a former New Zealand football fan to produce a six-step action plan that helps organizations tackle this problem. Sahaj is also a part of the Sports Pro Media New Era program, and today we get to talk to her about all of this and more. Sahaj, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lorraine. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Before we begin, we like to start off our sessions with an icebreaker. Are you ready for that? Absolutely. Let's go for it. What's your favorite quote, expression, or motto, and why is it your favorite? That's a good question. It tends to change from time to time, but I think at the moment I'd go with done is better than perfect. As a designer, (laughs) that really hits close to home. You know, you can iterate and iterate and iterate and uh, and just not put something out soon enough to get the feedback that it needs. So, yeah, I'd say that that's it for me. Done is better than perfect. And that's a quote by Tony Shea. I believe he was the original person to to say that quote because I I did a case study on um, Zappos, the company that he co-founded. So, yeah, that's a that's a really cool motto. And you are a self-described product designer with a rather unconventional background. I am very curious about this and I'm sure the listeners are too. So please tell us more about your background. It's definitely unconventional. I'd say that I was always trying to move the dial forward on equality. I got a master's degree in diplomacy to help me do that. And a mistake that I think a lot of us make is thinking that wanting something bad enough is enough. The reality is you need to actively build certain skills to make any sort of impact. So working in business development then taught me how business works, how to structure and present initiatives to stakeholders. And and that was really invaluable. Uh, But from very early on, I also found design to be extremely gratifying. So I took the mission that I was initially aiming towards in university and I found an outlet for it in tech. I'm really stuck on the just because you want it bad enough does not mean that's that's enough, you know? That's yeah. I think that's quite powerful. Yeah, we really need to build build skills to to do things to, you know, constantly be refreshing and, and iterating on that toolbox, so to speak. 
And sports, what led you to the sports industry? Did you always have a passion or an interest for sports? Growing up, I played almost every sport, not very well, but <laughs> but I did. And a big reason why I think I was so active is because of my dad. So when he was 14, he broke his leg and he ended up losing a couple of inches from one leg. And because of that, he was never able to run again. And so with me, he wanted to make sure that I had all the opportunities that he missed out on. And I'm so grateful to him for that because it allowed me to experience this innate sense of community and, and belonging on every level that's so unique to sport as an industry. You know, there's the among those who are on the field or on the pitch, so the athletes among themselves, there's the sense of community and belonging among those in the stands. Then you've got the, the sense of community between the athletes and the fans. And then there's the whole other level of, of people working in the business of sport. So it, it, the passion really started from a young age and, and it never really stopped because of that. As I said, the, the sense of community, it's just so unique. And community is something that I personally work with a lot because of our women in sports um, community that we have. But we can talk a bit more about that later. For now, let's talk about um, the research uh, report that you did for your company about online abuse in women's sports. Can you tell us more about what led to the research, what the process was like, and what the findings were? Yes. So I was at a sports conference in London last summer, and I was talking to some athletes about how they deal with online abuse. And across the board, they said they just didn't post, they didn't engage, or even log in. To social media for months at a time because it took a toll on their mental health. So for example, there was one woman athlete who said that she would post pictures or photos on, on Instagram of herself training. You know, it was something that was taken in action, not edited, not uh, posed for. And she got so much hate off the back of that. She was accused of seeking sexual attention, but it was literally just a photo in training wearing her uniform. And, and this, this was you know, just one example of so many. And I am a big believer in data as a force for public good. You know, hard numbers can help us talk through sensitive topics in a much more objective way. And we're only just starting to talk about physical abuse openly in sport and the online space is even newer. So I totally understand it can be quite intimidating to even know where to begin. And so this report, it's called The Toxic Cost of Success. It was published to make that social media experience of women athletes much more transparent so that stakeholders can understand the problem better and then start to do something about it. So we focused on the UEFA Women's Euros and also the Wimbledon Championships uh, from 2022. And with the Euros, the main finding was that the bigger the spotlight you have, the higher volume of abuse overall. And for that tournament, we focused on the England Lionesses because we found 88% of all the comments we tracked mentioned that specific team. And of all the abusive comments towards that team, 38% were identity attacks. So that includes racism and sexism and anything about 
gender or transphobia or homophobia. And also going further than that, in their team, the five athletes with the highest volume of mentions overall out of everyone else in the team got 62% of all abuse towards the team. That That's a, a very big number. And I think that speaks volumes. We found something similar with Wimbledon, but with that tournament, we were able to compare the data between the men athletes and the women athletes. And there were two core things we found there. One was that identity attacks represented the largest disparity of abuse among women athletes versus men athletes. So the women athletes received a 2.6 times higher proportion of identity attacks compared to men athletes. And the second point that, that I want to make there is that while men athletes received a higher volume of abuse, the most abused woman athlete received a 3.5 times higher proportion of identity attacks compared to the man athlete with the highest volume of abuse. That's absolutely awful because... I'm guessing like a, a typical example for football would be like saying, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo, you were very rubbish at, at this game. And then turning around and saying to, to Megan Rapinoe that you are, that, oh, you're, you're this and this and this, you're a woman. So you're like this, you're like that. So it's like going just beyond the game kind of thing, right? And to, to just personal attack on the person. Absolutely. And that's not to say that men athletes don't get that kind of abuse. They do. Mm-hmm. But women athletes get a much higher proportion of attacks just for being themselves. Yeah, yeah. So then what are the implications of your research on various industry stakeholders? Is there anything that can be done to ensure that women are not being abused online just for simply being women? Yes, great question. With marketing teams of the rights holders, leveraging athletes as influencers to help grow the club's audience is becoming a more and more common trend and strategy. But as we've seen from the data, the bigger the spotlight, the more room there is for abuse. So not only does that make your athletes less likely to post regularly on social media to, to help grow your club's uh, following and audience, but it also makes people from certain backgrounds feel unsafe or unwelcome to engage with, with your brand's online community. Off the back of that, there are a number of things that can be done, but on the most simple, straightforward level, one thing you can do is just monitor your your channels regularly. Whether you do that manually or you use a tool to help you do that at scale, if there's a trend around a certain kind of language, so for example, it could be transphobic language, homophobic language, sexist language, your marketing and DEI teams can then find those trends, work together to educate audiences based on that. And you know, monitoring is one thing, and I think that's that's the starting point for, for any rights holder. But the next step after that is to also take action on abusive comments. So again, you can do that manually to start off with, or you can use a tool. 
but helping your athletes to feel safer and more confident in advocating for your brand without worrying about having to deal with abuse, that will do wonders. And at the same time, your brand feeds will be more inclusive to diverse audiences. And you're going to see fans starting to follow you and come to your games and advocate for you from all walks of life that you never would have imagined. Isn't it crazy, though, that the same sort of community that will give you that huge sense of belonging and identity is the same community that will make you feel bad for for being who you are and I know of course like this by no means uh, means that the whole entire community sports industry community is is homophobic or like um, racist and all that kind of stuff but it's crazy just to think that within that community of people that just make you feel at home feel like you belong and feel a sense of pride that there would be people that would make you feel the exact opposite I find that so that that dichotomy just so incredibly uh, baffling yes yes i think sport is just such a an emotive industry and because of that people get very passionate about the teams and the athletes that they support and because they feel that passion they can feel the need to to vocalize certain things and when there is that level of passion involved it you know especially when there are then rivalries as well between athletes or between teams that that spills over into into the fans and the audiences and it can be hard sometimes to find the fine line and the balance between that so having tools in place or processes in place to to help tackle that because it will happen it's an emotive industry as we said so it's just important to to start having something in place to deal with it you know something is better than nothing and now on to the sports pro media new era program um you're part of the program how did you get involved and what are you hoping to get from the program yeah, I uh, <laughs> I still can't believe I have gotten to and am still getting to be a part of such an awesome, awesome program. For me, it's the one-on-one mentoring sessions with the steering group. That's what initially drew me in. Seeing how experienced and knowledgeable those women are, I just couldn't not apply. <laughs> and I'm so grateful to have been chosen to the program because the connections I'm making with every single member of the cohort, everyone is doing such incredible work and being able to just absorb and learn from them all is, is amazing. That's so fantastic. And going back to something that you mentioned earlier about community and I guess like the, the new era program as well is it's having that community, right? The community of peers but also the community of mentors that you can sort of not necessarily model, but learn from and, and have uh, their support and kind of the, the extra sense of I've got this, I've got tools and I've got people I can, I can lean on, that kind of stuff. Another initiative that you're part of that you graciously accepted an invitation from me to be a part of is our Women in Sports Beyond the Hashtag, which we, we run here at Data Talks. 
Um, what attracted you to this initiative and what do you think is the significance of having female-led community initiatives? First of all, thank you for the invite. <laughs> I think that in an industry that has historically been quite male-dominated, having a dedicated space to connect with others in the industry in a way that feels safe and welcoming is so important. It allows us to break down our walls that become barriers for us uh, to, to talk to other people and to open up and, and learn and, and pass on you know, our experiences among each other. And again, I'll, I'll go back to that point about saying that it is such a, a safe and welcoming space. And, and that is, I think, the most important thing beyond anything else. Safety is like the the foundation of self-expression or growth or anything, in my experience anyway, that, um, and it's been, I've had the same experience here, just joining the company, Data Talks, that it just felt so safe that I was able to then express myself, express my gifts, express my ideas, and just have them super welcomed and kind of grow from that process. So it's it's fantastic to hear that you feel that the platform that we provide with our women in sports beyond the hashtag community is a safe environment. 100%. The psychological safety is very much appreciated. So thank you again for the invite. And of course, if you're listening, you're more than welcome to join our women in sports beyond the hashtag community. I will link the platform in the description. But Sahaj, what Im impact are you hoping to have on the industry, let's say in the next four or five years? Ooh, four or five years <laughs> is a long time. Um, I'd say as a woman of color myself, from an immigrant family, I want, you know, the next, not quite generation because it's four to five years, but, you know, the next group of women like myself coming into the industry to be more exposed to a higher level of diversity in sports, you know, a higher level than what I grew up watching at home, a higher level than what I've experienced uh, attending sports conferences, uh, a higher level than, than what I've seen um, just in the industry, on the pitch, in business rooms. I think a higher level of uh, diverse representation is is what we all strive to achieve. So if I can have any little <laughs> any little uh, bit of impact on that, that would that would be the dream. And if there's someone listening today who wants to do their part in being uh, a diversity and inclusion champion, what advice would you give them? How can they get started or support those who are working actively towards this? Looking at what's been most helpful for myself, I would say that if there's someone you see that you think, oh, wow, they're doing such amazing work, do reach out to them. You know, do send that connection request. Tell them you'd love to chat with them and learn for, from them. Ask them for a coffee meeting. Uh, most of the time, you'd be surprised. They'll, they will say yes. So don't be afraid to tap into the knowledge and, and the experience of people who are already doing amazing work in the space. 
And uh, finally, what exciting things are you currently doing or working on? And where can people find you, like to connect with you, or where can they find all these exciting things that you're doing? Uh, yeah, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. <laughs> it's uh, it's an awesome platform to to connect and and chat with uh, people uh, doing similar work as yourself or things that you find interesting. So definitely find me on LinkedIn and. In terms of exciting things I'm working on, there's a variety of research projects that I'm working on with uh, with Loretto Labs around online abuse, uh, specifically uh, underrepresented uh, individuals or or communities. Uh, so do get in touch if you'd like to to be involved with some of that research. And aside from that, we're constantly constantly working with uh, new partners in sport and uh, iterating on the product, as I said in the beginning of, uh, of this podcast. Um, and I'm sure there are a number of things I'm missing there, but that's just a few of them. Sarge, it has been an absolute pleasure getting introduced to you, but also sitting down and having this conversation with you. And I'm so excited to sort of be on this journey with you on the New Era program and kind of see where life takes us. <laughs> Likewise, thank you so much for having me. And it's been such an amazing uh, journey together so far in New Era. And like you said, I'm so excited to see what the future holds. If your goal is to get more supporters, superior sales and real revenue, then visit our website at datatalks.sc and fill out our demo form to experience firsthand how we can help you. Data Talks, more supporters, superior sales, real revenue.